brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hello. Falamogulis. <clears throat> Jack and Hagar gave me this. No one here by that name. Please. Across the narrow sea. I have nowhere else to go. You have everywhere else to go. But wait! Well met, box-dwelling imps and pigeon killers, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan the Devastator. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, Archmaester of Making Dinners. (laughs) And this is episode 84. On this episode of our series rewatch, we are covering Game of Thrones, season 5, episode 2, The House of Black and White. And in case you're not already aware, this series rewatches from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through season seven. So if not, there's still time to get sentenced to be beheaded by the woman who freed you from a life of slavery, your mother, or beheaded after being confused for an escaped dwarf convict from death row. So you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This was a good episode. Fuck yeah. So much going on in this one. What uh, what stood out to you? I had trouble actually picking a top five because I actually had kind of like a top seven, to nice. be honest. Um, <laughs> we got to see a lot of characters this episode. And true, we get to see Bravos for the first time. And, and the moment of truth arrived where we almost got to see if the Titan was as colossal <laughs> as it could be. I totally thought of that when she was going under it. I was like, <laughs> Duncan's probably looking for his dick. <laughs> I actually like more was laughing at how we probably would be looking at his dick or for his dick. And I totally forgot to actually look. I looked and didn't. It's pretty dark. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't see it. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> yeah. So I have a fairly decent top five, and then I have a decent amount of notes as well. Nice. How about you start right off with your number five? Okay. So my top, my number five is the cozy box. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. 
He's a box dweller, isn't he? Yes, he is. You just can't escape them. I loved how drunk he is. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's like looking in his wine glass and he goes, there's a bug. Right. Yes, best be careful. You might accidentally consume some solid food. Yes, get a little protein in that body. <laughs> so funny. And then he hearkens back to how he, he said, can I drink myself to death on the road to Marine? Because he says, uh, when I agreed to come with you, did I misrepresent my intentions? <laughs> you know, yeah, Drinking absolutely. himself to death on the road. Hilarious. Totally. Um, so he talks to, to Varys about getting out of this box, and he wants to get outside and take a walk. And Varys is basically like, no, you have to stay in this box. Like, Cersei has offered a lordship to the man who brings her your head. Fuck. And I loved Tyrion's response was, she ought to offer her cunt the best part <laughs> of her for the best part of me. Yeah. <laughs> I just loved that. Classic line, for sure. Um, so Varys reveals that they're actually headed for Volantis. Ah, yes. And Tyrion's like, I thought we were going to Marine. And he goes, you know, the the road to Marine basically starts in Volantis. And they have their amazing little banter back and forth and they're talking about rulers and Tyr to Tyrion's point, you know, everyone has already got a ruler <laughs> yeah every and little so pile of like, shit has a banner hanging from it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and so he's just Ugh. being like a pessimist you know he just totally. he's just being kind of um poopy about the whole thing right he just thinks it's a bunch of bullshit yeah and and Tavares's point you know he goes you were you were quite good you know at ruling right he was. And he really was. And Tyrion, in his, um, you know, kind of drunken depression, I guess you could say, <laughs> he goes, I managed to kill a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And uh, depression is an appropriate word. You get more of a sense of it in the books just because you're, you uh, you're getting everything from Tyrion's perspective. But uh, there, he one of the things that he keeps saying in his head over and over is, "Where do whores go?" Because he, uh, in the books, when he kills Tywin, he asks like, "Whatever happened to Tysha, his Tysha, his uh, you know, his first wife?" And uh, Tywin's response when he asks where she went is, "Wherever whores go," you know. So he, <laughs> he's like kind of. It's like he's like a broken record. His mind keeps skipping over this thing where he's like trying to figure out what happened to Taisha and he just keeps asking everybody that he meets, where do whores go? And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they kind of continue on their conversation and Tyrion goes, I liked it. Power, even as a servant. Um... You know, then they go, you know, people follow leaders, but they'll never follow us. They find us rep repulsive. And Tyrion responds, I find us repulsive. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And to Varys's point, I loved this line. Um, 
and we find them repulsive, which is why we, we surround ourselves with large, comfortable boxes to keep them away. Yep. And yet, no matter what we do, people like you and me are never really satisfied inside the box. Oh, not for man. long. Yeah. The, the, the gravity of the end of that sentence didn't really hit me when I was watching because I was so focused on, they find us repulsive, and I find us repulsive, and then we find them repulsive. And I just thought that was like, <laughs> you know, kind of so funny that I didn't really, I missed the second half where it really like ties it all together and puts it in perspective of the box that they're in right there. Yeah. And it's it's a very true statement. You know, they they have their little boxes, they're, you know, comfortable in them, but they're just not satisfied with, I think to Varys's point here, he's no longer satisfied with kind of being under the radar. You mm, know, yeah. he's, he's going to Danny. He's had this plan for, you know, if I would, I would think probably a few years now. Yeah. You know, and Tyrion, you know, killing Tywin propelled him to actually go meet Danny. So I think that's where like, he goes, you know, we're never really satisfied inside the box, not for long, meaning like I'm kind of ready to to reveal my hand, if you will. Yep, definitely. Ready to go take this war hot. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty epic. Um, yeah, so that is my number five. Nice. What's your number five? Little boxes on the hillside. You know that song? <laughs> yes, I do, because I love weeds. <laughs> <laughs> They're all made out of ticky tacky. <laughs> aggressive <laughs> yeah i don't know when you were talking about all these boxes that they're in and, and it just made me think of that yes absolutely let's see my number five is john stock of winterfell okay um, yes which is a pretty epic moment john ends up in being in front of stannis for killing mance and uh, Stannis is kind of pissed about it. It's like, I ordered Mance Raider burned at the stake, and he prevented that order from being carried out. You know, and he's saying that the king's word is law, and uh, he has a, a good line say, saying, perhaps you should ask Sir Davos how much mercy I showed to lawbreakers. Yeah, and I love how he had his little nubbins, like, hanging <laughs> over his sword. <laughs> yeah, perfect. And uh, he, he goes on to say, show too much kindness, people won't fear you. If they don't fear you, they don't follow you. And that sort of reminded me of um, the way that Tywin rules, where he thought his father Titus was too focused on make, trying to make people like him, and everybody just kind of walked all over him. So Tywin is all about ruling through fear and uh, making people follow him by use of fear. So it's kind of Tywin-ish here. Mm -hmm. And uh, it this also hints sort of that Stannis is actually kind of kind underneath and that he doesn't want to have to punish John because he's like, you know, you show too much kindness and people won't people won't fear you. So he's he seems like kind of reluctant to have to punish John, <laughs> you know, but he's like, I, I kind of have to. Like, Yeah, he does. So that's it's interesting with Stannis. I We've made the comparison of. Tywin and Stannis in previous episodes as well about kind of their thought process on mm -hmm. killing the few to save the many versus doing it the honorable way and killing many to kill like just for killing <laughs> for whatever sake. the goal is. <laughs> yeah, so they they are similar creatures in that standpoint. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, Stannis's sentiment here of 
you know, making people fear you, otherwise they won't follow you, is sort of um, is rubbed off and illustrated by Dan- Danny's decision later in the episode to execute the guy publicly to make people fear the rule of law, basically. Yeah. And in her case, it backfires wildly. Yes. I mean, if you, you know, I guess if uh, if your whole system of ruling is already based on love, which her, hers has been, you know, freeing people, saving people, etc., start to try to incorporate fear and they're like what the fuck is this all about <laughs> you know they'll start hissing at you basically <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> pretty funny yeah so <laughs> john's like listen with respect the free folk are never gonna follow you i'm sorry you burned their king it's just not gonna happen and stannis uh Stannis is like, who then? You, you know, and it, he does end up kind of being made a rule, a leader later in this episode. Interestingly, not of the wildlings, but um, Stannis has a funny change of conversation here, where he changes the topic. Do you know this wretched girl, Lyanna Mormont? Yes. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, and I, I got, I, you know, I didn't realize that it was the Lord Commander Mormont's niece, but of course it is. So since we all know who Lyanna Mormont. Mormont is and how powerful a little lady she is. This moment is just so funny. He calls her wretched. You know. Yeah. It's so funny. A child of ten. So classic. That's crazy. So she's only ten in this episode. So when we actually meet her, she can't be more than like maybe twelve or thirteen. Yeah. So she's really young. I, I mean, mean the super young. Is like, you know, gotta be like eleven or something. Wow. That's crazy. We, I, I don't know. She looks really young though, you know doesn't look like yeah. 13 no she doesn't or like she's she might be a little older because i she's such a good actress that you know like Maisie williams looks really young too. true true they can never but tell these days i know they do such a great job like i want their makeup artists to make me look young <laughs> <laughs> oh man so yeah, that's pretty funny. She's so stubborn and just like, why we we know no king other than the you know, the king in the north whose name is Stark and John has to kind of laugh as he points out that the northerners can be a bit like the free folk, you know, stubborn, loyal, you know, rugged and uh not really controllable. And Stannis agrees and sort of chuckles about how uh, Robert would go on often and loudly about how difficult it was to control them, even with Ned Stark's help <laughs> acting as sort of the Warden of the North. Yeah, I found that that was a great line for sure. Yeah, pretty funny. So even with the, the, like the leader of the North trying to ease relations with the southern kingdoms it's it was still a pain in the ass and dorne is even more difficult you know they're never really in the fold per se they still have princes down there you know yeah absolutely which is crazy so uh we learn that the night's watch is going to be uh, electing a new lord commander later that night and they're pretty convinced alice or thorn is going to win and so Stannis is basically like, well, what the fuck is going to happen to you if Thorne wins? Because he thinks yeah, you're a traitor. Yeah, you need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he mentions also that his bravery um, has made Alistair look weak and he'll punish you for it. I don't punish men for bravery. I reward them. And I thought it was fucking hilarious how he was like selling himself in that moment to mm-hmm, John. Like, totally. join me and we can rule the galaxy. Is You know, it's just so funny. Um most enthusiasm he's showed about pretty much anything. 
trying to, <laughs> trying to get John on Which his side. Which is kind of interesting from a perspective of Jon Snow's presence with all of these people, because actually Sam even brings this up in this episode where, you know, Mormont saw something great in him. Now we've all yeah. seen it. Oh, that's such and, a great moment. You know, Stannis, I think Stannis feels it with John. He, yeah. He's like, I want you on my team, right. basically. Because and we know Melisandre feels it too. Yeah. So it's very, it's very telling to the unspoken energy that people have when you come around them, mm-hmm. that John has a very particular energy that is desirable for many different people with extremely different personalities. So he's really special. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing, cool. okay? <laughs> and the ovaries all swelled. Oh my God. Yeah, that's great. Uh, that's funny, man. So uh, <laughs> he's like, listen, yeah, it sounds cool, the opportunity to work with you, but I can't, you know? I pledged my life, my honor, and my sword to the Night's Watch, you know? He's like, I don't know what I have left to give you and that's when it gets real Stannis is like you can give me the north you know and he's like I can't even if I wanted to I'm a bastard <laughs> a snow and then kneel before me lay your sword at my feet and uh, the the camera cuts to Jon Snow's face as re- he's reacting to this Stannis goes on pledge, your, pledge me your service and you'll rise again as Jon Stark Lord of Winterfell and it's like one of the most brutal moments in the show. It's like so sad because it's all John ever wanted, but he can't accept it without giving up what it would mean to be a Stark, you know, to be honorable and to keep your vows and your word. So he yeah. doesn't really have a choice. Like he couldn't do this and be John Stark and still be worthy of the name in his own mind, you know. Completely. It would be a Pyrrhic victory, essentially, a victory at too great a cost, the cost of his honor to achieve his uh, his, his goal of getting his, his father's name. So naturally, he has to turn him down. And this really is a crazy moment because Stannis is basically telling him, listen, they think you're a traitor. The new power structure is going to kill you. You know, and he gives John an out saying, I'll make you Lord of Winterfell. Just join me. And John chooses death over dishonor here damn that's powerful yeah and he uh you know he goes on to explain that to sam um and sort of just walks away you know he says i swore a vow to the night's watch if i don't take my own word seriously what sort of lord of winterfell would that be and just kind of walks away and sam's like oh you know because he was so excited I loved- for it. Yeah, I loved his uh, line. It's the first thing I ever remember wanting. wanting yeah. I would daydream about my dad, you know, going to Robert Baratheon and, and you know, never again being the bastard of Winterfell. Yeah. And we, we know that this has been a sore spot for John the entire series because, you know, one of his first lines when they have the direwolf puppies is, I'm not a Stark. Right. You know, and he's always kind of like lived in that shadow. He's always kind of had a chip on his shoulder. We Mm -hmm. see it when um, they're hosting the king at Winterfell and he's outside beating the shit out of that dummy bag thing because he's angry that he can't be in there. Um, Because, you know, being a bastard, it would offend the king as like, you know, him, his presence, basically. (laughs) Yeah. 
So there you so, go. That's, that, that shows you how offensive it was to Cersei when Oberyn brought Ilaria to Joffrey's wedding. Yes. Oh, that's so true. I didn't even... That's why she was kind of being... Well, she was. she's always being snotty, but... Mm-hmm. You know, and, that makes a little bit more sense, too. And there's, so there's the main influence on Ned, which was Catelyn Stark, who was never stoked about Jon because she considered a bastard a threat to, the, like, her her own true-blooded, true-born son's um, rights to ascension of the throne. Like, they're... they're or not the throne, but, you know, the, the lordship of Winterfell. Their place in the... Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Succession. There you go. So, um, if if Catelyn wasn't, like, nagging at Ned about, like, why do you keep your bastard here, you know, uh, etc., I wonder if he would have asked King Robert to uh, to naturalize John and, and, or give him the... Uh, the Stark name? Yeah. Maybe. But then again, he knows that it's his sister's son, you know, so maybe he wouldn't. Maybe he felt it was safer for John to always be a snow. Maybe. And yeah. not have the Stark name just just in case they ever, people ever speculated, you know, the fact that he, that Ned didn't naturalize him, knowing right. that information, like it could be used as ammunition for Ned to say, if he were my sister's son, I would give him the Stark name. You know, I would have naturalized him. Right. Is that the right word, naturalize? I know I said it before, but I'm like, I can't remember what the right word is for me. I Making I was just, I have it down that, um, that he legitimize. would be given. Legitimize. Well, yeah, that's yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's better. Um, my bad. I, yeah. I, no, that's okay. That's okay. So we know that this has been with him a long time, this sentiment of being a Stark. Yeah. So what Stannis is offering him, it's like everything he's ever wanted mm -hmm. served up to him. And so I had a question. So the Night's Watch, they take a vow for life, but if <laughs> Stannis is the king and he wants Jon to be Lord of Winterfell, does he does the king have the authority to release a night's watchman from his vows? I don't think so. The night's watchmen are sort of like beyond the king's justice at that point. Like once you take the vows, you're sort of like out of the jurisdiction of the king kind of, I believe. Um, yeah, it's it, I don't know. That it's, kind I'm of confuses sure. me a little bit cuz like how could Stannis really you know, give his word to make him a Stark? And then when we see in episode one, um, the deserter of the Night's Watch is killed by Ned Stark. He's not killed by the, the Night's Watch. So right. I think there's a little, maybe a little bit of gray area that maybe you could speculate. Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess it's known in the, like, in the Seven Kingdoms, it's, it's law that if you're a deserter of the Night's Watch, you're, the punishment is death. So whoever catches you is probably responsible for that. Got it. Um, but it's interesting, you know, one door closes and another door opens, right? right? Like, John is, he's so, like, just shocked that he's offered the option to become John Stark. And then he's he's just, like, probably shattered that he has to turn it down, you know? But just as he is giving up this great opportunity, another opportunity is thrust at his feet. For him to rise to power in another fashion, you know, a legitimate fashion for him that he earned. 
that um, that doesn't involve like reneging on his honor essentially and it comes when when obviously when Sam nominates him to be the uh, the Lord Commander of Night's Watch I'm sure we'll get to that later on yes that's my that's actually my number four perfect yeah so yeah I just thought it was really cool that after everything John gets the opportunity to become John Stark and he turns it down something that like only Ned Stark would do you know yeah honorable yeah. epic so uh, let's uh, talk. It's move on to your number four, right? Yeah. So it's actually perfect because my number four is the 998th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Nice. So we we kind of get some dialogue about we we discover that it's the 998th selection of the Lord Commander. So that's a lot of Lord Commanders over the years. <laughs> yeah, it's a fuck ton. I mean, considering that most of them probably are Lord Commander for a, a decent amount of time, I'm sure that there's been few that perish early or die young because of the nature of what they do. But th that is a clear, that's a clear way of showing the audience how freaking long the Night's Watch has been in service. Right. And what was the, uh, we learned that the youngest Night's Watch commander, Lord Commander ever to be elected was what, named Osric Stark? Yes. So um, it was a was Stark. 10. Yeah. And th maybe that's what gave Sam the impetus to say, well, you know, Osric was young. John's pretty young too. Maybe, you know, and he's basically a Stark. Like maybe this is just meant to be, you know? Meant to be. I th yeah. also thought it was hilarious how Gilly called him Ostrich Stark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so we we kind of get the the political speeches uh, about Sir Alistair. We um, Janos Slint, you know, says he was the acting commander when the Wildlings raided. He's been at the Wall almost his entire life. He's a you know tried and true ranger. He's the only true choice. And then someone stands up for Sir Dennis Malister. Mm -hmm. You know, he's been around a, a long while as well. And he is the commander of the Shadow Tower and has helped, you know, keep the wildlings at bay for a really long time. Remember, then, we, we saw him last episode, too. Yeah, and we, we've, heard, we've heard about him a couple of times when they're talking about who the next Lord Commander is. I think... Yep. I think Janos Slint talks to uh, Alistair about him, saying that that's kind of like your main competition. Yep. So then Sam is like, you know, the camera's kind of darting in and out, and he Sam keeps looking is, like he wants to talk. You know? Yeah, he's anxious and he's like <laughs> trying to figure out, like, should I do it now? Should I do it now? Right, right, right. <laughs> should I do it now? Exactly. <laughs> and then he goes. Maester Eamon. Yeah, it's it's almost too late. You know, Maester Eamon is like getting the tokens all set up, explaining which one's going to be for which, and he, then he like juts in, like interjects finally. And everyone looks at him. <laughs> so. Oh, and before, uh, right before Sam starts explaining to when he's getting, when they're like making fun of him, John is looking at him like, no, don't Shut do it, Sam. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so funny. The reluctant hero, you know? Yeah, he's like, don't do it. I don't really want to be that you know yep. but he is going to be <laughs> sam the slayer you know another wildling lover just like his friend john snow yeah and i love 
that Slint's kind of making fun of Sam, and Sam's just like, fuck you, dude. Yep. Yeah, yeah, her name is Gilly. You know her quite well. <laughs> you cowered together <laughs> during the during the raid. Yep, hidden the larder. In the larder. And then he goes, a wildling girl, a baby, and Lord Janos. I found him there after the battle in a puddle of his own making. <laughs> so classic. He just rocked that scene. Yeah, and basically this is mainly my number five here is is sam's speech and it's he goes while lord janos was hiding with the women and the children john snow was leading mm -hmm. um sam continues sir alistair fought bravely it's true but when he was wounded it was john who saved us he took charge of the wall's defense he killed the magnar of the thens damn he went north to deal with Mance, knowing almost certainly it meant his own death. Before that, he led the mission to avenge Lord Commander Mormont. Mormont himself chose John. <clears throat> excuse me, chose John to be his steward, and he saw something in John. And right and at that moment, John's eyes close in like a beautiful bit of direction and acting, where he seems to be like coming to grips with his destiny and reluctantly accepting that this may be the path that is is has been laid out before him to take the the command of the night's watch just a really really good moment there yeah he saw something absolutely. in john and his eyes just like clench shut and he's deep in thought really cool moment. yeah yeah and so he goes mormont himself chose him to be his steward he saw something in him now we've all seen it too he may be young, but he is the commander we turn to when the night was darkest. Yes. And I thought that that could maybe be kind of a foreshadow to season eight. Oh, man. <clears throat> because obviously winter is here. Yeah. And the long night is coming. Yep. And we find out that John is actually technically the rightful king of the Seven Kingdoms. Oh my god. We, we find that out in season seven. Yep. Or, you know, we speculated it for a long time, but we <laughs> right, actually right. get confirmation. A marriage. And and now, you know, people like we were just talking about, people kind of gravitate towards John. And I'm thinking maybe that's a little bit of a foreshadow that people are gonna that the kingdoms are gonna turn to Jon Snow to save them all. Oh man, that's a great idea. A cool foreshadow. I could see it happening too. Me too. Even hope, Danny I, could be like, take take Drogon, you know, or something crazy like that. Yeah, well, I think Danny may die. Sadly, uh -huh. I I have a feeling Danny's possibly going to die. Yeah. And I think she's going to die in childbirth. I know I've gone into that a little bit, but I think she's going to get pregnant and she's going to die in childbirth. I could see but, it happening. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. And then so John, like, they don't have to compete with each other as far as, like, who gets the throne between the two of them. Like, right. it's just taken out. I, I have a feeling many, many 
of our favorite characters are going to die. Yeah, next probably. Season. Although they wouldn't necessarily have to compete with each other to, you know, take the throne. That's they true. could they could rule as two kings, you know, or king and queen. But yeah, that's like true. Like Tenacious D. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we lead as two kings or something. We lead as two kings. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so you know, Sam's speech is very powerful. People are cheering and John kind of smirks. And then Alistair stands up and is basically like, yeah, but, you know, who, what side does John really fight for? I mean, who would have known if Stannis didn't raid Mance? Like, what would have happened in that tent? You yeah. know, basically implying that John's a traitor, you know, and, and he makes a fair argument from a perspective of someone who hates the wildlings like Alistair does and many of the Night's Watchmen. Do you want to choose a man who has fought with has fought the wildlings all his life or a man who makes love to them? Yeah, it's so brutal. And it's you know, it's not true because John was always he always had loyalty to the Night's Watch even though he got to know the wildlings and he did fall in love, but that's right. He left Egret for his vows, right? And Sam could have even like added this whole thing into the uh, into his little speech there. You know, he led the 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 thing to save Lord Commander uh, or to avenge Lord Commander Mormont. He fought at the Battle of of the at the Castle Black, and he's the commander we turned to when the night was darkest. He risked his life and infiltrated the Wildling Horde to great gain critical. Um, in, information and intel about how there's a hundred thousand of them and to come back with their plans basically you know what I mean? yeah like that was so critical you know that could it's just another selling point for john basically but yeah of course alistair has to just poo poo all over it and he's sort of doing the little finger thing here just sowing seeds of doubt yeah absolutely which we'll get um, more into later talking about Littlefinger. Yeah, so I like the way they cast their votes. They, you know, get their little tokens and they put them in those clay pots. And one of those guys, I swear, was Lord Richard of House Horsfield. But then I realized Lord Richard, our listener, he's a lord, so he couldn't be one of the Night's Watchmen. Oh, got it. Yeah, so um, we we get that there is a tie between Alistair and John. And I love that Maester Eamon is the tiebreaker. Yes. And I love that he chooses John. Think about it. It's a Targaryen voting for another Targaryen. Oh my gosh. That, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's so awesome. I just realized it right now. That's awesome. It's oh, hilarious. Yeah. And so everyone like jumps up and cheers. It's like, Jon Snow, Jon Snow. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and like you were just saying, you know, ovaries explode <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> all through the land. <laughs> I found it really funny that in the scene before this, he turned down lordship at Winterfell and immediately became the Lord Commander yep. of the Night's Watch. Yeah, exactly. One door closes, another opens. Yeah. Pretty crazy. So, yeah, that is my number four. Good things come to those who wait. Yeah. Nice. All right. My number four is Badass Brienne. Yes. Okay. This is my number two. All right. So let's collab on it. 
Cool. Basically, it starts out with Pod and Brienne, and they're, uh, you know, Podrick has not abandoned her. He's, he's taken the, the verbal whoopings and uh, stick, stays by her side. And he's trying to be positive. Must be good food if it's crowded, you know. And, uh, I was bummed out that we didn't get more hot pie, but it's obviously it's a different tavern. I like that Pod likes the little tavern went. She's like staring her up and down, smirking at her. Oh, and he's like looking at so her funny. butt as she walks away. <laughs> I didn't notice it. And that's why he's looking over when she's talking to, to Littlefinger probably. And that's how he realized it. Mm-hmm. He's kind of leaning around Brienne <laughs> to get like one last look at her butt. It's great. So uh, he, he things get serious when he realizes that it's Littlefinger over there, basically. Um, and we, we had just learned that he had had a marriage proposal accepted. And Sansa thinks that he was like, it was another marriage proposal for himself. So she doesn't know that she's being married off to Ramsay. Well, yet. he kind of, he's deceiving in this moment because he says, my marriage proposal, marriage proposal has been accepted. Right. Mine. Right. My. Um, I thought that was really a curious. Well, it was his proposal, not his marriage. So it, <laughs> it could be looked at. You know, either like, you know, grammatically, he was very slick about it, like you were saying. Yeah. It, so it throws Sansa off because she immediately went the way he said it. It's like, well, my marriage proposal was accepted. And so I would assume that if I were Sansa, that he's talking about himself. Right. Yeah. That's what you think. A proposal <laughs> for not. his next marriage. Yes. But in reality, it's just his proposal. And it's, <laughs> it's going to be exactly. her marriage. Exactly. So he's, we can tell that he's very clever with grammar to throw, to throw people off, but not technically be wrong in Mm -hmm. that situation. Right. Definitely. Yep. He's very slick. So, uh, is it Sansa who orders some ale here? Um, the girl comes over and offers them ale and, Sansa just go, I'll have some. You right, know, like, yeah, interesting, because she don't, normally she doesn't drink, but I guess she's sort of picked it up after dealing with Cersei a bit. And we have that sort of interesting interaction where Peter asks her how it tastes, and she's like, I don't understand why people drink this. And he's like, it makes, what is it, some men feel powerful. or gives It gives some men courage, right? Courage. She, she asks him, well, does it give you courage? <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Yeah. But, uh, Pod is checking out that the uh, the serving girl's booty, like you said, and sees oh shit, Littlefinger's over there with Sansa, and and so he tells Brienne, you know, he's like Brienne, don't look, but but Sansa's over there, and she's talking with Littlefinger, and she dyed her hair, yeah, but it's but her, it's definitely her, and he would know because obviously his old boss Tyrion was married to her. Right, so it's not like yeah. he was like cl- up close to to Sansa. He would recognize. No, she her. got just like a he got just a very quick profile view of her face as she was getting um, her ale poured, and I I I think before this though is when Sansa says to Littlefinger, "My mom always used to say dark wings, dark words.'" Yep, yeah, an old saying, inaccurate in this case. <laughs> Yeah, I find it interesting because Littlefinger plays it off like his marriage proposal has been accepted, but it, and he goes not in this case, but in reality for Sansa, oh yeah, it, it is dark words because right. 
she has to marry Ramsey Bolton, who we all know what happens with that situation. So again, he's he's playing her. And I I don't think Littlefinger knows what a psychopath Ramsey is. I mean, he might have an idea. He claims he doesn't know later, at least. A little off. Yeah, he might just have heard some stories, but the stories were probably about his enemies or trying to get gather information, not about doing it to women, you know, like abusing women. So a part of me thinks that Littlefinger may have had an idea, but not to what extent. It'd be pretty fucked up if he had a real good idea and he still went through with it. So hopefully you're right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't like giving Littlefinger the benefit of the doubt, but right in this situation, there really isn't much to go on. I, like, I don't think Littlefinger would know about him hunting Tamsi down with Miranda in the forest, like stuff like that. But I'm right. sure he's heard of about Ramsey doing what he did to Theon Greyjoy and what he did at Moat Kaelin with the Ironborn and stuff like that. So right. he may know that he's um, a, like a dark person, but I don't think he realizes that he goes as far as to like manipulate. He's like a sadist rapist. Yeah, like a rapist. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, so, so Pod's like a bunch of knights with them. And Brand's like, what the fuck is a bunch? Like, God damn it! Are you talking about six? Are you talking about twenty? <laughs> <laughs> Ten, I think. So she, he can tell that Brand's about to take action, and he's like, ah, too many. This isn't a good idea, you know. And she's just like, ready the horses. He's like, we only have one horse. Find more. <laughs> the line always makes me laugh. Find more. I love how she says Littlefinger too, and when he's like, he's with she's with Lord Peter Baelish, and she's like Littlefinger. Yeah, 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 true. <laughs> yep, that's funny. So then, uh, Bran goes over to confront the both of them, and uh, Lord Baelish, Lady Sansa. My name is Bran of Tarth, and P- Baelish remembers her, and. Starts off by sort of complimenting her, saying, "What did you say about you? Your your loyalty came free of charge." And then obviously turns it into something else by saying, "Someone appears to have paid quite a bit for it since then." Yeah, you know? so he's already putting doubt, like a seed of doubt in Sansa's mind that she's kind of a flippant, you know, like right, exactly. First, she first he casts doubt on her loyalty. Exactly. Right. And then it just it goes on from there. She takes a knee, Brienne, you know, all serious, totally serious and one hundred ten percent business, you know. Before your mother's death I was her sworn sword. I gave my word I would find you and protect you. I will shield your back and keep your counsel and even give my life for you if it needs be. <laughs> I swear it by the old gods and the new She's so serious in this. Yeah, so serious. And Sansa just like is like speechless, doesn't even know how to react. Yeah, like what the fuck? And so then, then yeah, then, Lord uh, Baelish is like, uh, we don't need to be that formal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he just <laughs> continues to sow seeds, more seeds of doubt about everything, and try to make her look as ridiculous as he could. So it's like strange. First time, uh, you know, I knew I knew Cat since we were children. She never mentioned you. So first, he casts doubt on the truth. And she's like, it was after Renan's murder. And then he's like, ah, oh, yes, you were accused of killing him. So then he casts doubt on her honor. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. 
And uh, she's like, I, t- I tried to save him, you know, but you were accused. Well, by men who did not see what happened, you know, and, he, and he's like totally setting her up. Well, what did happen? And she's like, fuck. Yeah, this casts <laughs> doubt on her sanity. <laughs> yeah. She, she pauses knowing that the truth makes her look fucking kind of crazy. But eventually she's like, you know, he was murdered by a shadow, a shadow with the face of Stannis Baratheon, you know. And, and Sansa's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and Baelish is just hamming it up. A shadow with a face, you know, and he's just like, <sighs> you know, rubbing it in like how crazy it sounds. This woman swore to protect Renly. She failed. She swore to protect your mother. She failed as he casts doubt then on her capabilities And so he's just casting down on everything. Loyalty, honor, the truth, her capabilities, everything that he can. Her sanity, just poisoning the well extremely. And then he's like, why the fuck would I want somebody with your history of failure guarding Milady Sansa, my lady? And uh, she's like, who the fuck are you again? Like, why do you have any say in this at all? (laughs) And... Baelish sort of says, now we're family, you know, I married I'm her, her uncle. Yeah. Married her aunt. I'm her uncle. And, uh, you are you're an, an outsider. outsider. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Forgive me, Lady Brand, but experience has made me wary of outsiders. And so now he's saying something that he knows that Sansa will relate to something that triggers the fears from her recent mis- misfortunes and, you know, all of her, all this terrible shit that's happened to her. And being having her family be betrayed by outsiders like the Boltons, you know, who were responsible for slaughtering her mother and her brother and, you know, everything that's happened, basically. So yeah. Sansa's like, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I saw you at the at the wedding. You, I saw you bowing to the king. Right. And and Bran's like, can we just, you know, have just have a word alone, you know, and kind of remind me of uh, Jorah talking to Barristan. He's like, well, I just want to talk to Danny alone. He's like, no, you're never going to be alone with her again. You know? And Sansa here is like, uh, no, not happening. We're not going to be alone. Uh, I think you should basically leave. You know? And, you know, Brienne also says after Sansa said, um, you know, I saw you bowing to the king. She right, goes, right. none of, neither of us wanted to be there. True. You know, sometimes we don't have a choice. And Sansa says, and sometimes we do, basically saying to Brienne, I am choosing, like, to not go with you. Yeah. It's too bad. <laughs> like, I didn't if... have a choice to be not be at that wedding, but I have a choice right now, now to not go with you. It's too bad Sansa doesn't know, like, everything that Brienne knows, because otherwise, I think she'd be really excited to have Brienne on her team. For sure. Same thing with Arya, too. It just worked out terribly for Brienne with both of them. I know, I know. <laughs> I I was trying to figure out why she cut all the horses loose and like s- bumped into those guys. Like what purpose did that serve? I think that basically what Baelish was really hinting at by saying, "Oh, we don't want our new friend wandering the countryside alone." You know, basically saying spreading word that Sansa Stark is you know, up here, who's wanted, he's basically giving the heads up to his guys, like, we need to take control of Brienne, and yeah, and probably kill her. That's what I was kind of thinking, too, but I still wasn't really sure, because they, I, I know that they kind of step in front of her, like, they're not gonna let her through, yeah. and that's... The man asked you to stay, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like, letting the horses go so they can't chase her and Pod. Yep, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. 
I love those those writing scenes in this um, this part of the episode. They are really well done. Nice. Um, definitely body doubles <laughs> on oh, yeah. most most of the people. And they do kind of CGI Podrick's face onto one of them. I, I watched it in ah. slow motion. Um, That's funny. They, they also do that to Jamie Lannister when he rides his horse up the steps. Oh, of, I love that um, part. That's so cool. Yeah, if you watch his his head and his neck, he looks kind of like a bobblehead. <laughs> and it's, it's because they... Superimposition. Basically, like superimposed his face onto a, a body. That's great. And it reminded me. So I, I did dressage for a really long time. But for fun, I had, my horse was really, really good at jumping. She was actually bred to be a jumper. Nice. And I just kind of changed her into into a dressage horse. So I would do cross country jumping with her, and it this scene totally reminded me of how fun that used to be. Nice. Like you literally go out into this country and it's it's a it's a course like built into like the wilderness and you jump over logs and streams and rivers and like holes in the ground and i mean shit that doesn't fall down when you knock it knock on it you know it's <laughs> yeah. it's a fairly dangerous right sport. right yeah um but it was really fun to kind of watch that and i know I know I talked about Sansa before. I'm pretty sure that that was a body double of Sansa riding off the East Road with Littlefinger. Interesting. Because she's a v that girl, whoever that girl is, is a very good writer. Oh, nice. So it fits the character perfectly. Sansa, yes. like, prim and, like, you know, proper. Proper, and... knows how to properly ride a horse. She's sitting, yep. like, very, her posture's very perfect. Very erect, and yeah. Um, but... I know I, I read an article somewhere Sansa always hated the horse scenes because she was either, either allergic to the horses or to the hay. Oh, the so, uh, Sophie Turner. Sophie Turner, yeah. Um, so I'm pretty sure that Sophie Turner isn't the one actually galloping away in that scene. Right. I'm good, sure good she call. knows how to ride enough to like, you know, when they walk up the hill to look over at Moat Kalen, like that's her riding the horse, but they're only walking, you know, although she still does look like she has a good seat in that um, in that scene as well. So, again, you know, my obsession with horses, I just <laughs> this is a fun one, like pod. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That was so Getting funny. Getting bucked gets, off. Gets, yeah, bucked <laughs> off. Rear, like reared off, I guess I should say. Yeah, book off. That is the scariest way to fall off a horse. Oh, I've yeah, fallen off a couple of times that way. I've had horses fall back because they can fall backwards when they do that. Oh, yeah. And they'll, they can fall on you. And that's happened to me a couple of times. The horse has fallen on you? Oh, yeah. Damn. Yeah. I mean, you kind of like learn to... Yourself. <laughs> you, you know yeah you know when they're gonna topple over um my horse used to rear like that all the time because she was just kind of a bitch uh, and she just didn't like to do what i was asking her to do so she would rear up and i would grab her neck to hold on but sometimes she would go so high she would start to like you start feeling a little weightless <laughs> and once you get that kind of feeling you know just to kind of like jump off to the side because you funny. know that they're going over <laughs> classic yeah <laughs> so so pod gets thrown off like that and then he stumbles back into the trail um without any type of weapons or anything 
and the guy rides up on him and he throws a rock at him which the guy just sort of like leans to the side that means you're unarmed easily misses him yeah so the guy's about to attack and then Brianna's duck pod you know and just fucking slashes that guy and then the second dude comes up and she there they start sword fighting and with a back like a backhand kind of swing she just fucking slashes right through the other guy's sword that valyrian steel oathkeeper is so sharp just cut right through this guy's blade and she just fucking nails him in the neck and then jab like jabs oh i didn't even notice that it cut through the blade oh man yeah that's crazy Splits oh i have to go like watch butter. that again yeah holy shit i thought he he just got like stabbed in the neck it didn't even register that it went through yeah irons. it's the swing right before she stabs him through the neck she like cuts right through his blade and down into his shoulder like armor and stuff and then she jabs thrusts the the tip right through the back of of his fucking neck but that blade that blade cuts like butter right through that other guy's blade which just his reach is then useless he can't hit her it's just like he's defenseless at that point and she just finishes him off with a nice thrust Oh, man, I love so when intense. she yells at him, get down, pod, and he, yeah. like, ducks. <laughs> yeah. And then, <laughs> She's uh, such a badass in this. Yeah. And then uh, Pod is just sitting there crouched still, like, shell-shocked Podrick? after Brienne destroys these two guys. Yeah. Yes, my lady. You can get up now. <laughs> or you can stand now. <laughs> yes, my lady. Yes, my lady. <laughs> and then he, Pod is shook. Basically, he's like uh, Sansa, like asking what happened. Where is where you have strangers as she should be? I saw her riding on the East Road with Littlefinger. We'll follow them. And he's like uh, now, like all wary of the danger of the situation there. And he's like, um, well, since both Stark girls refused you, maybe you're like released for your vow. Can we go home, Zoinks, Scoop? You know, I just want to pour wine for Tyrion again. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, I swore to that mother I would protect those girls. Well, they don't want your protection, Scoob. You don't think... And she's like, you think they're safe with Littlefinger? No, my lady. Get your horse. (laughs) She's just commanding the the scene. And she's fucking steadfast like Mance. You know, she's on a mission and she's going to follow through. And it's fucking epic. Super epic. So yeah, badass Brienne. Love that scene. She is. Gwendolyn Christie... She is so powerful and strong. Like she herself is just kind of a badass for be able like for being able to like ride that horse and wield that sword and act all at the same time like multitask multitasking totally. yeah. for sure. It's awesome. She's cool too. I met her one time. She, nice. She's really nice. She seems cool. Um so yeah, yeah, that that uh wraps up my number 4. How about your numero 3? My numero tres is the Titans. Hello. Ooh. And so we see Bravos again. Yes. And um, I love the the Bravosi captain with Arya. Arya's face, like looking at the Titan. There's definitely a little bit of awe and fear. Looking at that statue, and the captain comes over to Arya and kind of tells the story of the titan that he would wade into the sea and smash his enemies so cool yeah and so she's just kind of like listening and looking up and it's uh 
his horn blows. <laughs> and she grabs Needle and, you know, the guy goes, he's just a statue. It's just a statue. <laughs> Don't be afraid. He's just announcing our arrival. And she goes, I'm not afraid. And it, it echoed back for me to Serial Pharrell. Like, you know, I think in the books it's played out more like this, the stuff that she repeats um, when he's, she's getting her lessons from him, like quite as a cat, still as yeah, a shadow. Definitely. And when... Not today. Not today. Not today. It just, for some reason, it just kind of harkened back. Maybe it's because Syria was from Bravos. Mm, probably. So it just kind of reminded me back to that, the, um, her, her sentiment with, with that. But I like the, uh, like the legend of the, the, the Titan becoming, you know, coming to life and smashing yeah. his enemies and stuff. It It's, it's cool. It, it's like, hints of like a advanced super civilization in the past or it kind of reminds me of like real life things like the legend of of easter island how the the giant statues the moai allegedly walked themselves into position powered by mana you know stuff like that where like yeah, ancient really statues cool. are moving themselves and stuff and it's totally based on the colossus of Rhodes, which we talked about last week big time uh, so cool just love it yeah, so we, you know, this scene even more so than the first time we see Bravos, you really get a beautiful aerial view of the harbor and the mm -hmm. bay and the city behind it and just how big that statue is. I mean, it is massive. Yeah. We should probably say, like, sort of remindful of the Statue of Liberty also. <laughs> you know, like, it's worth mentioning. Yeah, for sure. With its arm, his arm up, and instead of a, um, torch, you know, he has a, like a, a a broken sword in his hand. Imagine how long that sword was. Yeah, before it broke. I wonder how it broke, or if it was. I'm sure it was a full sword. Yeah, maybe a dragon like flew by or something. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Like that. That'd be a cool episode of that store. That you know that um that spinoff series with about like random bottle episodes happening all over the place. Get to see yeah. how the Titan lost his sword or something. Yeah, that'd be so cool. Um, so they're, they're floating down kind of the canals and it really gave me like the vibe of Venice. Yeah, totally. With, with the canals. And then, you know, at the same time, it reminded me of like there had, there was some Asian influence in there yeah, with like the straw hats. Yeah. Like the rice, uh, like this yeah those like those hats yeah like raiden wins yeah yeah like they're kind of conical like wide conical hats mm -hmm. that you see there was a cool shot that where the camera was inside of like a little like sewer tu sewer tunnel or something like that and you heard yes. like the natural sound of the water like like um as they floated by yeah it was a really cool shot some really good uh shots in this yeah, it was very, very good cinematography in this this scene. And um, so they is the House of Black and White on an island or is it attached? I think it's I'm not really sure. It's cool looking, though, where <laughs> where yeah, it, it was for for me. I, like a little peninsula or something. Yeah, I got the vibe that it was like separate from Isolated. the mainland. Yeah. Um, whether it be on an island or. Or like you just said, like a, a small peninsula where there's nothing kind of around it. Yeah, I can't remember. 
Um, I noticed that there were no windows. Right. Which is kind of creepy. Yeah, there's a building like that in New York City where, like, the NSA is headquartered or something like that. Like, there's just no windows. Super creepy. Oh, crazy. That would kind of wig me out. Um, But, yeah, so the the captain says, The House of Black and White, where you will find the man you seek. And Arya, you know, goes, thank you for bringing me here. And the captain goes, any man of Bravos would have done the same. Right. Valar Mogules. And I think this is the first time we've heard Arya say Valar Dohires. Yeah, maybe. Um, and they do like the little two Gesture. finger on the <laughs> forehead, which is cute. Mm-hmm. So I noticed that Arya knocks on the white side of the door. Mm. Oh, I thought it opened before she could even knock. No. Interesting. So she knocks She knocks twice. And she knocks on the white side of the door, and then she knocks a, a second time, because no one answers, and the faceless man, or J- what we know as Jacques and Hagar, opens the black side of the door. Mm. And later in the episode, when she actually enters the House of Black and White, she enters through the black side of the door. Interesting. So I just thought that that was kind of interesting because when he later, or you know, later on in this scene, the the black side opens. She asks who Jock, you know, if Jock and Hagar is there. No one here by that name. Right. And is is he saying no one is here by that name? Or is he saying, oh, no one here goes by that name? You know, no one. The guy down in that no room one. <laughs> Yeah. And so she goes, you know, please, I have nowhere else to go. And he goes, you have everywhere else to go. When she turns and sits on the steps, and she's like kind of thinking about what to do. When she stands up, half her body is in the white side and half her body is in the black side. She's like completely symmetrical in the door. An image of duality. Yeah. So I just kind of liked that. I, I don't I don't know if I should like read into more of like why she was able to go in through the black door and why she knocked on the white door and that's maybe why she couldn't get in right away. Mm. That he didn't let her in right away. I don't know. It just it just caught my attention. And yeah, it's interesting. Lots of symbolism in the house of black and white for sure. Yeah, it's a it's it took me a while watching the series uh, several times to kind of get a grip on what the hell it was about, to be honest. This is probably the most was the most complex storyline for me to kind of un unwrap in my mind. Right. <laughs> and so she's sitting on the uh the steps like fight club style right for for exactly there's a lot of metaphors there's a lot of symbols there's a lot of kind of reading between the lines like for the longest time i couldn't understand why the fuck they were slapping her hand when she was telling the truth (laughs) Mm. like like it all of a sudden clicked to me i'm like oh because they want her to lie and make it sound true you know so it took me (laughs) a few times with this i know maybe i'm dense but (laughs) It just took me a little while to figure the storyline out. And I didn't really like the storyline at first because of that. But now that I understand it more, it's actually one of my favorite storylines. Nice. Um, yeah, it's a good one. Just wait till you get there in the books. Pretty interesting. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. I thought it was funny how um, she waits outside. It looks like for days, like it's raining at one point and then it's back to and normal. And all she is is reciting her list. Right. It, it reminded me of Fight Club uh, where the guy 
he, Bob or one of the guys, uh, I can't remember who is it, Bob has bitch tits. Somebody somebody goes to wait, like they, they knock on the door, they get rejected from the club or whatever, and he goes to walk away and <laughs> Tyler Durden comes out and he's like, no, 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 you just got to stand outside and wait for a while, you know, like <laughs> yeah, for a few days. And then finally it gets admitted. So it just made me think of that scene from Fight Club as she's waiting out there, but she ends up saying, fuck it, and throws the coin in the river basically and and dips. And there's a cool, really, another really cool camera shot there where the camera is on a boat in the water and it's like going up and down with the mm-hmm. waves, whereas the shore is stationary. And it was, it's the only shot like that in the, in the series that I remember. And so I thought it was really cool. Yeah, we get kind of two two shots like that. One, like you said earlier, in that little canal mm-hmm. facing out. Right. And then this this um, one that you're talking about right now. Yeah, those two shots kind of stuck out to me. They were cool. Yeah, so we, we, we hear her list again, which is Cersei, Walder Frey, The Mountain, and Marin Trant. Right, no hound. No hound. Joffrey's... And I, again... Joffrey's not on there anymore because Joffrey's dead. Mm-hmm. So maybe we could speculate and say Ar- he was already off her list or he's off her list now because she assumed he died. Right. And the next time we see her, I think that it's uh, it, it's it's kind of clear to me that he's off her list because she took him off the list. And what makes it clear to me is that those guys come up to her and they're trying to um you know steal her her stuff her pigeon yeah or her sword oh both so yeah the guys come up to her and they're they're like what you got there you know and she pulls out the sword oh that's a nice little sword worth a hundred pigeons a sword like that and she has a line where she's basically just emulating the hound obviously from this line his he's had a great influence on her and she basically responds just the way the hound would have Nothing's worth anything to a dead man. Yes, I loved that. Except Arya sang it, and I was like, oh man, like she's literally emulating him, you know? And at this point, it's kind of clear that she fucking like ended up liking and admiring the Hound, at least subconsciously. Yeah, she goes, turn around and go. Right. Turn around and go. Yeah. That's a nice little sword. They f- totally freaked when they saw the faceless men too. Yeah, like, man oh, shit. too. Oh, that that line though, nothing's worth anything to a dead man. You know, it reminded me of the Hound's line, "Dead mice don't squeak." Yeah. Similar sentiment. Yeah, and also, um, the Hound stealing the silver from that guy because he's going to be dead, and dead men don't need silver. Right. Yeah. So, so she definitely is... learned that from the Hound. Yeah, totally. I felt like she. Like, like um, the actress Maisie Williams, I feel like she was doing almost like a hound impression for that line to like really sell that this was something yeah. that she picked up from from Sandor, totally. which was cool. So then, yeah, they uh, they run off real fast when they see the old man appear. Yeah. So that was actually kind of the end of my number number three. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, number three, I think. Um, yeah. So he he brings her back to the house of black and white. And she's like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why were they scared of you? And he, he pulls out the coin again. You lost this. And she's like, how the fuck did you get that? You know? And then, and then he peels his face off 
and it's jacking yes you know and she's like oh my god like you said there was no jack and hagar here and he's like there isn't a, a man, man is, is not, not jack and hagar <laughs> yeah um so she's like who are you then he's like no one and that is who a girl must become yeah and then they walk through the black door <laughs> yeah exactly epic so it's the next level of her identity crisis you know <laughs> for sure yeah yeah it's a great great scene yep definitely so that was the end of your number three right yep what is your number three my number three is danny learns the truth okay so dario is walking with gray worm and they go into this house trying to find the sons of the harpy and there is an interesting line as we learn that Grey Worm fears nothing. And Dario's like, that's the fucking problem. Like, you need to know fear because it'll help you understand other things, right? Like hiding. You don't know how, you don't even, you wouldn't think of how to hide because you don't, you would never hide, basically. Someone who has forgotten to fear has forgotten how to hide. Right. Fear is useful that way. And then Dario just, like, fucking stabs right into the wall. And just, how I don't know how he knew exactly where the guy would be in the wall. But uh, it was impressive. Maybe he didn't really know. Or maybe he heard rustling or noticed something in the wall. Or maybe he just took kind of, like, a stab out of thin air and was just going to go around and start stabbing walls and just got lucky with the first strike. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it was precise. Precision uh, strike. So Grey Worm's like, damn, that was fucking hardcore. And they find the harp, the harpy mask, etc. And, and that this... whisper music playing in the background. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It's really good. And That's so a the, great uh... one in um, the live experience. Oh, nice. I'm not going to give it away, but it's it's kind of freaky. <laughs> <laughs> in Game of Thrones in concert. Yeah. It's nice. really freaky. So we now have a a prisoner, a harpy prisoner, and Danny has to decide what to do with him, right? Kill him, give him a trial. What what the hell is she going to do? And this is a major turning point for her learning, you know, trying to figure out her philosophy, but she fucks it up in the end anyway, uh, unfortunately. So she's she's not really sure. All they understand is blood, you know, et cetera. She's getting advice from all these people and barristan is like, like yeah you should exercise restraints we have you know um his dar and what's the slave's name not massimo but um Mas Ma masador mosador i'm not really sure actually i think it's like mosador or something like that so they're kind of arguing back and forth you know, the masters don't want to do things, so they basically pay... I think he says pay poor men to do it. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, she's getting all this conflicting counsel, and then Barristan steps up, and he's like, Your grace, a word, please. You know, I beg you. About what? About your father, the Mad King. The Mad King. You're here to remind me of my enemy's lies. You know, consider me reminded. So we kind of learn that Danny doesn't know the truth about her father. And we haven't really heard, as the audience until this point, like, we haven't really heard too much about the Mad King either. So this is a good moment for us and for Danny as we both get expanded information about Ares. 
So she's like, he's like, listen, your grace, I served in his king's guard. You know, I was at his side from the first. Your enemies did not lie. Like, and so Dario was wrong because apparently Barristan also is not afraid to tell Danny the truth. Yep. Um. So the, yeah, about t- about time some real perspective on things. Um, Barristan is super valuable to for Danny to have at her side, helping her with stuff like this. Yeah, and she trusts him because she says, "Go on." So um, he says to her, "Your enemies did not lie when your people rose and rev- when the people rose and revolted." He set them aflame, killed sons in front of their fathers, burned oh. men alive with wildfire, and laughed as he as they screamed. Super fucked I was, up. I was wondering if maybe he was talking about Brandon Stark because didn't he do that to Brandon Stark? Didn't he yeah. set him on fire and laugh? Yeah, and Rickard Stark. Well, Rickard Stark was strung up in the sept um, or in the throne room. Sorry, in his armor and kind of roasted alive with a fire underneath. And Brandon was they put his sword just out of his reach. And to put like a garrot thing around his neck that would tighten as he struggled, and he basically strangled himself to death trying to reach his sword so he could save his father from roasting alive Ugh. in his armor. <laughs> oh, okay, that's what it was. So she says, I'm not my father, and he goes, No, thank the gods. Thank the gods. That was ballsy to say, and that that sentence really cemented to Danny, I think, how like crazy her dad was. He's like, you know, he he served him and he's like, Fuck, I'm so glad you're not him. <laughs> yeah. Um, he goes, but the mad king gave his enemies the justice he thought they deserved, and each time it made him feel more powerful and right until the very end. Right, that's so crazy. Yeah, and so this this kind of solidifies to Danny, like, I need to practice a little bit of restraint here, and, you know, I'm not going to execute the master without giving him a fair trial. Right, which is the right decision. Totally. Yeah, Absolutely. Have a justice system, you know? <laughs> yeah. All right. So that pretty much wraps up uh, my number three. What about your number two? My number two was Brienne and Sansa, and we pretty much covered all of that. Uh, I don't think I have any more notes on that. All right. Sounds good. My, so what's your number two? My number two is the WWF Small Council, or WWE, I guess because <laughs> it's drama in the small council room oh with kevin yeah everybody's making okay. power plays this uh, is my number one all right <laughs> perfect so i labeled it the queen mother nice yeah cersei rolls in with kyburn and we're surprised as kyburn is given a seat at the small table yes which is pretty crazy he is now the master of whispers yes um, I guess a split second before that, actually, we get the dwarf head tossed on a table. Oh, yeah. Which is pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's a great transition from uh, Tyrion talking about, to Varys about how there's a contract out on his head, basically. And then we see and then it, it immediately. the head. Yeah. Uh, dwarf head inbound, I wrote on my notes. Um, so there's kind of a screwed up moment where the the thugs are like should we kill him should we or, who is it that has the um oh it's sir Marin. he's got the two guys there and he's like should i throw them in a cell cersei and he she's like no i don't want to dissuade the other hunters mistakes will be made you know like yeah, casual about it you know they're gonna kill a bunch of dwarves that aren't the right ones but i don't want to prevent them from keep keeping killing the dwarves because uh you know she threw them in jail then it'd, it'd be like oh god we don't want to give her the wrong one 
Yeah, for sure. That's a it's a funny scene. And then Kyburn's like, "Can I keep the head?" Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Like a freak. <laughs> Total freak. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what's he, what he's gonna do with it. I don't know. I don't really want to know. <laughs> yeah, there's speculation in the books that he uses it for for the mountain and his resurrection. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I I thought it was funny in this scene that. Um, the, the small council scene that Cersei goes and sits in the, the hand of the king's chair and, right. you know, Kevin kind of calls her out on it. He's like, since when are you handed the king? And she goes, I know it would be inappropriate for a woman, you know, basically to be a hand. I'm just simply advising my son until he can choose a hand for himself. And Lord Tyrell, the giant boob, you know, I'll, I'll be the hand. <laughs> <laughs> She totally butters him Which up here awesome. too to manipulate him. Yes, you know, we we're he's the new master of coin. You know, your your skills with money are just unparalleled. And he's like, ooh, like tickled pink. Experience and wisdom. Yeah, it's so funny. Yeah. So easily manipulatable. And then it pans over to Kevin. Oh, before that though, like, Picel tries to weasel in. <laughs> yeah, it, the the camera just flashes, oh, flashes at Kevin, and Kevin okay. just kind of like he's like looking at Cersei, like I'm on to you, you know? Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah, know yeah. this game, like this, you're not this nice of a person. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So then Pycelle pipes in. Yep. Your Grace, in the past, on several occasions, the Grand Maester has served as the King's hand, and she just fucking cuts him off immediately. The King's named Kyburn, the new Master of Whispers, and everybody's like, just what? Kind of like, what? <laughs> yeah, everybody is kind of taken aback by that. Definitely, uh, especially Pycelle, who already we know hates Kyburn, doesn't trust him. So he's like droning on and on about how he doesn't have the qualifications and everything. And Cersei's like, the only important qualification basically is loyalty. You know, something that the eunuch never had, which is kind of a funny line. He's only loyal to the realm. Yes, only and, loyal to the realm. <laughs> and uh, even Kevin is like, what the fuck basically here? He's like, I did not return to the capital to serve as your puppet or to watch you stack the small council with sycophants. He says a couple minutes later. So he then starts talking kind of about like the qualification of loyalty. And Cersei kind of pipes in and she's like, more than the eunuch ever had. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was pretty funny. And then Kevin starts kind of... Um, you know, like what you were saying. Oh, right. Yeah. That's when she tries to enlist Kevin and she starts trying to butter him up. So nobody yeah, in the realm better deserves the title of master of war than you, uncle. He's like, that's nice of you, but I want to hear it from, t from Tommen. Um, you know, and plus he should be here learning what it means to rule. And I thought that was right. You know, very telling. It, he really should be there. Totally. You know, if he's the king, like, so Kevin is on to Cersei that, you know, she's protecting Tommen. She's keeping him away because he's easily influenced. I think she knows that about her son. And we come to see that as well in Definitely. the series that he's extremely malleable and that she's going to try to weasel her way into the power seat, which is frankly, for a lot of the time, the hand of the king. Um, 
and kind of assume her father's role. And um, that's, this is when he says to her, I did not return to the Capitol to serve as your puppet. Right. Great line. And this and is kind of the first time that anyone's ever kind of gone toe to toe with Cersei. Like everybody in that small council wants to be her bestie. Right. And Remember, he's like, uh, I don't want anything to do with you. Yeah, totally. Remember last episode when she told the Septon to hold everybody back before seeing Tywin so that she could have a moment alone with uh, Tywin and Jamie at his at his um, vigil. Um, mm -hmm. And I said that it was sort of a test to see if people would listen to her with Tywin gone. Here is yep. the first time where somebody's like, I'm not putting up with any of your bullshit, Cersei. Uh, Tywin's not here. You're not fucking Tywin, you know? And, yeah, uh, <laughs> you you have no place here. You're you're basically the queen mother and nothing more. I think is what he says. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, he says I do not recognize your authority to dictate what is and what is not my concern. You are the queen mother, nothing more. Fucking and he great. asks kind of where Jamie is too, and she's like, "It's none of your business." As the master of war, right? And He's a diplomatic <laughs> mission sensitive. Diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> it's just true i mean it is true yeah it's he's so going to extract marcella but she doesn't want anyone to know that yep and kevin is just like g'd up here like zero fucks given <laughs> yeah he's like fuck you cersei like yeah. I, I you know until the king basically he tells her until the king not you needs my services i will be at casterly rock <laughs> kind of like where i belong and he gets up and yeah. walks away and she's kind of like fuck fuck yeah that was great that yeah. pretty much wraps up everything I wanted to say. Me too. Nice. So that was my number one. So what's your number one? My number one is the Gilly Grayscale connection. Okay. Which, for some reason, I felt like I was watching the scene for the first time. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I just com oh, really? I completely forgot about it. Yeah. It's hilarious. So she's learning how to read. Yeah. And basically, you just put Shireen on on task to teach all, any adults that don't know how to read. That's her job, basically. She teaches them yeah, to read Yeah, she goes, I taught Davos how to read, and old people are terrible at learning new things. Uh, yeah. I loved that. Yeah, it was funny. And so uh, she, Gilly's getting a look at the S. You know, it looks like an animal, snake. And uh, Samuel speaks up. Um, did you know that the youngest Lord Commander in history, Osric Stark, was elected at the age of ten? And Gilly is just like not amused, amused by that. But her, her reply is really funny. I know S. S. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And oh my then she continues to go. You know, basically saying like Shireen's a great teacher, very patient. I yeah. only said the more time you spent practicing, the faster you'll be able to read. You know, and so she clearly Sam at some point has tried to teach Gilly how to read and it didn't go very well. <laughs> True. Yeah, that's pretty funny. You know, so now Shireen is teaching him her how to read and she's kind of rubbing it in to, to Sam. Like, if you were just a little bit more patient with me. <laughs> Right, yeah, she's all like pissed off. She's being super passive aggressive, which is yes. <laughs> hilarious. Yes, so, so passive it's aggressive. It's a great comedic moment for mm -hmm. her, and that's when she calls him ostrich Stark. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, and we learned that it's like uh, me calling uh, Egret Ingret. <laughs> yeah, 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 same thing. 
Classic. And we've, we learned that she learned to read at three, taught by Maester Cresson. Remember Maester Cresson? Yes, he's the one that tried to poison the Red Woman. Yeah, in like season two premiere, I think. And I think it's the prologue of the second book as well. It is. Yes, yeah, it is. Because honestly, I just started the second book. So that's pretty fresh in my mind. Nice. Isn't that great? That, that book scene, book version of it? Yeah, it really is. It's yeah. really cool. It's It always sticks out in my mind, too. Like her necklace glows. Pulses. It actually glows in the... Um, the episode too nice yeah it's it's yeah it's crazy how it like sort of pulses in the books it's like kind of yes out. like her, her heart is beating yeah so um they base she we basically find out gilly is asking what happened to shireen's face what do you call it south of the wall and we learn she says grayscale what do you call it in the north you know beyond the wall and she says she doesn't know, but that two two of her sisters had it. And I'm like, what the fuck? That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, they both died. I wonder how they got it. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah. How could they have been exposed to it? Because um, Shireen was, got it by, a, there was like a trader that came to port at Dragonstone. Put a doll in her crib. Yeah, yeah. and Stannis bought the doll, but it had been like contaminated with grayscale. Cursed or, yeah. Yeah, so that's all fucked up. So, uh, and Sam perks up too. He stands up and walks over because he's curious about this, her, um, her story. Yeah. Foreshadowing his involvement with Jorah and Grayscale in the future, right? Yep. So, uh, she's talking about how they, the, both of her si sisters died and she asks how Shireen was cured, but she doesn't, she doesn't remember, but she thinks a lot of people came and tried to help when she was a baby and whatever they did, it went away. So I'm wondering what the hell they did. Um, it could be important. I think they go into it more in the books, a little like bit, all maybe. the different stuff that they tried. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They definitely list off a bunch of things that were tried for sure. Stannis tells Davos about it or something. Mm -hmm. um so she asks um shireen asks what happened to gilly's sisters and we learned that their her dad made them move out into the out of the keep and into the hut and none of us were allowed near them but they would hear them especially at night and they started to sound not like themselves which is mad creepy and yeah, for foreshadows sure. Tyrion and Jorah encountering the stone men in, in the doom of Valyria. Yes. Oh, my God. And it's one of my favorite like, scenes in yeah, the series. Yeah, totally. And how they like sort of don't act human. And uh, I totally forgot about Gilly's sisters having grayscale. Like, completely forgot about it. So I was watching it like, oh, my God, I don't remember any of this. It's so weird. So uh, she asks if she ever saw them. And apparently she only saw them at the end and they were all covered with, with the grayscale, their faces, their arms, and they were, they're acting like animals. Uh, it like calcifies your brain or something and like screws up your brain. So she says, my father had to drag them out to the woods on a rope. And Shireen's like, what did he do with them in the woods? <laughs> and Gilly's, Gilly's like, like fuck, I don't want to have to answer this, you know? And then right at that moment, Celise comes in and Gilly just kind of like books it out really fast, runs out. So yeah. she doesn't have to deal with that. And She's uh, a wildling. Yeah. And her mom is like super racist. Yeah. You know, he executed their, their king for treason. Killing you would be lashing out at them. That's a fairly good point. 
It is. Valid suspicion. Shireen's like, you know, her name's Gilly. She's super nice. Like, I don't think she would do that. And I, I get chills every time I, um, what's her face? What's her name? Celise. Celise. She goes, you have no idea what people will do all your books and you still don't know. And to me, that's her telling her daughter, like, I'm going to kill you. Oh shit. Yeah. Damn. That's fucked up. Like you That's still, you, it, I'm like, like right I'm in front of your and face. I'm gonna fucking kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and God you damn. still have no clue. Like the books don't tell you that shit. Yeah, that's hardcore. I didn't even think about it like that. God damn. Yeah. And zing, man. Salise is a bitch. I know. It's, right. Like she, God damn. No mercy. I can't even imagine. What the fuck? Yeah, and then Sharina's <laughs> just standing there, left all alone, like at the end of the end of the scene. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, that wraps up my notes on that too. But it's just like, God damn. She's like, yeah. she's like, you know, her name's Gilly. She's nice. Like, I'm teaching her to read. And uh, Shireen is just so innocent, you know? I know. So she's pure. so smart too. Yep. I mean, like, she's intelligent. Like, that's why she reads so much. You know, it's like she's craving knowledge and she's craving to see what the world is like because even in this scene she makes the point of saying my mother kept me inside right yeah she's been locked up in a tower like the like the typical like uh trope of a, of a princess you know locked in the yeah, tower for sure it's pretty funny so that yeah that wraps up my uh my number one should we move on awesome. to notes yeah All what's right. your first note let's see I have the Viper necklace as my kind of first note, if we're going in sequential order. Yep. Yeah, here we are. Yeah. Viper necklace. Yeah. Take it away. Yeah. So Cersei's sitting here looking at this creepy kind of box and Jamie comes in again, is very diplomatic. You know, the queen sent for me, like you're still calling yourself the queen, Uh (laughs) which I found funny because... We learned, you know, Kevin, he's like, you're the queen mother. That's like all you are. You're not the queen. Um, So again, you know, in a way, Jamie's kind of rubbing it in too. Like the queen sent for me. Like you're not the queen. Okay. And so she goes, open it, you know, and he pulls it. And what a cool, like little contraption that thing is. Yeah. And all the sides fall open like a flower almost. And there's a snake. And is that a real snake like is that meant to be a real snake like or um, is it i'm not sure i didn't look closely at it uh i'll need to take i a couldn't look. really tell like it would i would be curious how if um you know the person sending that snake to them got it to, like a dead snake to taxidermy like that. <laughs> yeah um so I'm wondering if it's just a statue, but it has the the lion necklace in its right. bangs. It's in the jaws of the viper. And Cersei goes, there are only two like it in the world. The one I'm wearing and the one I gave to Marcella. And Jamie goes, it's a threat. And Cersei's like, <laughs> duh, of duh, course it's a threat. Of course it's a threat. Yeah, <laughs> like, what are you, dense? <laughs> of course it's a threat. Um, she's surrounded by people who hate our family. Um, I will burn their cities to the ground if they touch her. So here we go again with Cersei yeah. burning shit to the ground. Lots of talk of burning things to the ground. Our house, their cities now. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. 
Yeah. We are lucky. <sighs> like, we're fucking super lucky that Cersei never had dragons. <laughs> oh, my God. Imagine yeah. Imagine that. I mean, I the more I think about it, like, the I know I said this in la our last recording, is what if Cersei is and Jamie are the mad king the, the mad king's children they really yeah i mean cersei really acts like kind of like a targaryen you know i know I, so and i mean like i know the lannisters are blonde and the targaryens kind of have more of that like silver hair but if you had a lannister and a targaryen you know maybe it wouldn't come out as silver because right. of the blonde you know so yeah i don't know the seed is strong i'm starting to like that little theory yeah it's pretty like good. it's a it's a rabbit hole that Tyrion kind of resembles a a targaryen in, in the books at least because he has the two different colored eyes um and it was known that deformities were to happen in the targaryen line due to all the incest that occurred right right so like, like that a red he was herring. a dwarf yeah so he's kind of like a little you know to make you think one thing and then all of a sudden we're going to be revealed that what we originally thought was not the case. Yep. It's entirely possible. Yeah. So that's all I had for, for that little scene. It's important because, you know, it's it starts Jamie's trip to Dorne. Yeah. And Cersei was just saying last week, like, you're just a man of action, aren't you? You do things without thinking. Look at the results. Look at them, you know. And here she is encouraging him to just do shit without any fucking thinking like this is the dumbest plan ever to go to dorn like he's fucking batman to infiltrate and try to get out marcella no barristan is batman jamie you're not fucking batman only barristan yeah. could theoretically do this i also forgot to mention too like you know cersei's mad that you know jamie's like well i'll go you know save our daughter and she goes you know, you've never been a father to her. And he goes, if I was a father to any of my children, they would be like beaten in the streets. Yeah. You know, like, what the fuck? You can't be mad at me for that. And totally. he goes, I promise to make it better. Um, he, She goes, you never make anything better. And I just, she's so mean. Yeah, to she's him. such a bitch, man. She's, yeah, she's the worst. It's like, I don't know. Like, I know he's said this before. Like, why have the gods made me love a hateful woman? And it's, yep. it's really true. She's a really hateful person. <laughs> Super. She's not a very nice person at all. Yeah, she's, she's, yeah. To her brother and her, you know, the person that she's supposedly like in love with. The worst. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot to like put this stuff in my notes, but I, I remember like, Jamie asks, like, do you know where they're keeping her? And Cersei's like, I'm pretty sure she's in the water gardens because when I was talking to Oberyn, that's the last time he saw her. He goes, you know, I'll find her. And she, he goes, anything else, Your Grace? <laughs> uh, yeah, very formal. And um, she goes, you're going to Dorne. What did she say? You're going to Dorne, a one-handed man. Alone. by yourself oh alone okay yeah <laughs> who said i was going alone yeah who said i was going alone and that reminds me of Varys's line to Tyrion last episode right who said anything about he yeah that's true kind of reminded me of that so then we we, we meet simple lawless <laughs> <laughs> lawless stokeworth so funny <laughs> 
She's a rambler. Yeah, she's it's it's so like <laughs> Bron is is being pretty nice about it too. You know, he's not being a dick. He's being pretty gentlemanly for the most part, even though he's struggling to pay attention. <laughs> yeah, he's not really paying attention, but he's not like annoyed. I don't think he's really necessarily annoyed by it. He's just not listening to her. Right. You know, don't they? And he's like, don't they what? Yeah. <laughs> Eat pigeon pie in the Capitol. He's like, I don't fucking know. Yeah, <laughs> Sure. Right. Why not? Um, so he's, I think he's kind of daydreaming about the Stokeworth castle. Oh, yeah. You know, Absolutely. and well, we won't get the castle. My sister gets it because she's older. And this is, this is so funny because we know that Lawless is pretty simple. It's a little bit more detailed in the books, but, um, you know, and sometimes she pulls my hair when mother isn't looking. Right, right, right. <laughs> and I thought that's so funny because she's like a grown ass woman. Yeah, yeah. You know what I think? I think you're a good person and your sister is a mean person. And he basically says, karma is going to get her. And she doesn't realize Meaning, what he's really I'm gonna saying. Yeah. Push her off her horse. <laughs> I'm going to have her killed somehow, which yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. They always get what's coming to them eventually. Yeah, one way or another. And he, he was like kind of admiring the Stokeworth Castle or whatever it's called in the background. And he's like, I never thought I'd end up getting settling down in a place like this. And uh, that's when like, Lolly's just like, you won't. He's <laughs> like, oh, but I will, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you wait and see. Yeah, and then all of a sudden someone's sitting there and it's Jamie fucking Lannister with something <laughs> telling him that... Lollis will be marrying Sir Willis Bracken. And what the fuck, man? Son of a bitch. Not acceptable to fuck with my boy Bron like this. Right. You know? It's just not cool. And Lollis is so smitten with Jamie. She's just sitting yeah. there like like googly-eyed at him. She's like, oh, Jamie Lannister. Yeah, she's like, oh, the and, Kingslayer. And Bron's like, run along, love. And she's like, fuck <laughs> you. Oh. I want to sit there and google at him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her smile just like drops. Yeah, poor Lawless. So he's bribing. So Jamie is bribing Braun, actually the same way Tyrion bribes, tries to bribe Braun into uh, being his champion. You know, like you, I'll give you a better, a better girl and a better castle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that's exactly what Tyrion says. You know, I'm I'm going to, you know, rule the north and Sansa's name and I'll cut you out a really big piece of it. You have a really big cast and I'll get you a better girl to go with it, basically. Yeah, except in this case, uh, Jamie has also eliminated Bronn's first plan of action. Like he can no longer refuse the deal and stay with Wallace, you know? Yep. So the bastard. And dude, Bronn's, Bronn's goatee is pretty on point in this scene. It is. Yeah. He looks very polished. Yeah, you can tell that he's got some money now. Yeah, not so much a sellsword. <laughs> exactly. Pretty classic. Yeah. So he's like, well, where are we going? And Jamie goes as far south as south goes. Yep. To Dorne. Is this the first time we see Dorne? Yes. Yes. Okay, I thought so. I couldn't remember because of the the long night in between our <laughs> the hiatus. Right, right. Yeah, we have not <laughs> seen Dorne yet. Okay, First, we really saw so. anything relating to Dorne was when Oberyn showed up um, That's last right. season, too. Yeah. I forgot how awesome season five is. 
Yes. Yeah, this is really like great. the minutia of the entire s- the show. This the the, the storylines have picked up. They're in motion, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of momentum in this in this uh, season. They really accelerated book book events for the <laughs> for season five and six. Yeah, yeah, like, they big did. time. Whereas they spent like it was like season three and four were all just on book three. That's crazy. Something like that, yeah. Basically, so yeah, um, it's Alaria. She's lurking. Yeah, Alaria's peeping. <laughs> yep, peeping hardcore, and she fucking hates Marcella. Yeah, and she basically goes to see Prince Doran, and we get our first uh, glimpse of Ario Hota. Who is the? He's like the chief, the captain. Like, yeah, the captain of the of the swords or the, of the guard at um at Dorne here at Sunspear, and this guy's fucking cool, man. It's too bad that his character is pretty much like wasted on the show. Like he gets killed off pretty quickly and doesn't really ever get to do anything. Whereas yeah. in the books, he's that axe pretty is badass. So legit. Yeah, he has kind of a special relationship with his axe in the <laughs> in the books. So he like kind of like it's like sleeps right right near him, and he just, just like ritualistically, you know, oils it and sharpens it every day. It's like oh, a, it's ex- it's like an extension of his body, basically. Yeah. So she's pissed about Oberyn still, and he's like, listen, Oberyn was slayed, slain during a trial by combat. That's not murder. What do you want me to do? Go to war? Have the whole fucking country go to war? And she's like, yeah, yeah, the whole country would want you to go to war. And I liked his response. Then we're lucky the whole country does not decide, you know? Bunch of freaking idiots, apparently. So the Sand Snakes are with her. This is the first we hear, we've hear we heard of the Sand Snakes. Uh, yes. By that name, at least. Yes, they're the, the sand snakes are with me. Yeah, Oberyn's bastard daughters. They have the love of their people. They will avenge their father while you sit here in your chair doing nothing. Let me have her. Yeah, and she's like this Lannister girl skips about our water gardens, eating our food, breathing our air. It's like, damn, really breathing our air, like <laughs> being possessive over air. That just goes to show, like how how much she just despises Marcella, right? Just and it just because she's a Lannister or like from King's Landing, essentially, you know, it's not her fault. She has nothing to do with Oberyn. I know she's an innocent little girl, right? So it just shows you, know, you how and- irrational Ilaria's, uh, you know, motivation is here. Yeah, and she's like, "Let me have her. Let me send her." you know, piece by piece to Cersei. Yeah, one finger at a time. And Oberyn would be so against that. Yeah. We do not hurt little girls in Dorne. Remember? Well, and even the Prince Dorian says, we do not mutilate little girls for vengeance. Not here. Not while I rule. Right. She goes, and how long will that be? Yeah. Like, and that's a total foreshadow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she stabs him too, right? Yep. Right in the neck. Uh, I'm not mistaken. She's yeah, she's the worst too. We get lots of horrible bitches Pretty in this spiteful. episode. Yeah, we have yeah. Celise, Cersei, and Alaria in one episode. It's like almost an overload of horrible bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? They're all PMSing all at once. Yeah, their their cycles are synced up. <laughs> yeah. And together it just makes the big massive wave of, of horror. 
Oh, Hormones. Yeah. <laughs> rage, rage, fucking rage. Fucking rage. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So uh she storms off and Ario looks over at Doran and sort of like caresses his long axe, like, should I cut her head off, boss? You know. And he's like, No, not yet. You know, let's let it play out a little bit. Uh, which is just yeah. kind of funny. I like that scene. Or like yeah. basically seeing Ario Hota. We get to we get to kind of see like the total opposite of Oberyn too in his brother. Like right, Oberyn's a very free spirit. Similar with their philosophies, though. Oh, absolutely, totally similar with their philosophies. But I think being that Oberyn was not the prince, and and Doran was allowed Oberyn to be so free, whereas Doran has the has his people to worry about. Right, the weight a, of responsibility and whatnot. Yeah, like, I'm not just going to go off killing people. I'm not just going to, you know, kill Marcella and start a war and kill thousands of Dornish because you're pissed off that Oberyn chose to go to this trial by combat and be a champion, and he lost. Right. And he died. He knew what it's, he was doing. It was his choice. At the end of the day, it, yeah, it was the Lannisters, you know, kind of snafu with you know, a sham trial, but Oberyn chose to take it a step further and not just be a judge, but to, to be a champion. That was his decision. That right. wasn't the Lannisters doing. I don't think that was a part of Tywin's plan at all. In fact, Tywin absolutely didn't want Oberyn to be the champion in that right. situation. Yeah. If anything, that would not necessarily stack the odds against the mountain, but it it's like the one person who may have a chance, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a skilled fighter over Tyrion, who's a dwarf, and, right. you know, Oberyn was the only one that stood up and said, I'll be your champion. So if Oberyn hadn't have done that, Tyrion would have had to fight the mountain himself, and Tywin would have gotten kind of a sick kick out of it. Oh, yeah. A song for the ages. So Oberyn kind of threw a wrench in Tywin's plan. And so it wasn't really the Lannisters' fault that Oberyn died, yeah, but in her mind, it is. Ah, <sighs> fucking crazy. Yeah. So the next note that I have is the master's death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same here. So I'm pretty sure his name is. Mosador is his name. Mosador, all right. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, Mosador. That's her servant the guy. The uh, that's the slave. The yeah, that's the slave. Um, that goes to the master to kill him, and the master says she doesn't belong here. No matter how many of you traitors call her Misa, she is not your mother. Um, you know and. Mosador, he looks is, pissed look, off. He's like, I am so jonesing for killing you right now. Like, oh yeah, he had this look of like anger and excitement and revenge and like I'm doing this for the queen and he was proud to do it. Yep. And then we don't actually, you know, see him die, but we see the harpy mask and the and the man, the master next to kill the masters, and then it pans to Danny. Um, talking to Mosador, and you know, he's basically pleading with her. He's like, You wanted the harpy dead, but your hands were tied. I set you free as you did all of us. 
Mm-hmm. And Danny's like heartbroken at this point because she's like, fuck, like, what did you just do? Like, I, you're on my small council because you are a freed man. I want your perspective. You've been from me from like day one and you completely just disobeyed me. Right. This guy was a, a prisoner awaiting trial. Yeah, you were at the table when we when I said to all of you that we are going to give him a fair trial and you go and disobey me. And the law is the law. Like I'm not the law, the masters aren't the law, the law is the law. Right. And, and that's when he's like she's oh. telling him he broke the law. You know, you had no right to do this right. essentially. He, he had said, you know, you wanted the harpy dead but your hands were tied. I set you free as you did for all of us. He was like happy about it, you know. I thought he was doing the right thing. And she's that yeah, she's like, once the masters were the law, and he's like, Now you're the law. And she's like, No, 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 no. The, no, law, the law is the law. law. And that's when yeah. he's like, Oh fuck. You know, and he kinda like realizes, I'm in trouble. Yeah. yeah. Yep, he didn't really get it. So like the fucked up thing, right, is that she's pissed because he executed this guy and he was a prisoner awaiting trial. Right? But then she doesn't give him a fucking trial. She just publicly just executes him. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? I think because he admitted to it. But I, I mean, I get it. Like, I, I totally have that in my notes as well. It's like, this man was on trial, but then she executes the slave, like, right. with just, like, out hesitation. Totally. And even though he admitted it, this is where a jury could come in and nullify the charges. Jury nullification. They could say, yeah, he did it. But we think it's justified, and we don't think that it deserves be, to be punished. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so that's like you know, the whole point of a jury is to have a like a consensus where a consensus where your peers decide if a crime has actually been committed. You know. True. True that. Um, so he continues to go on. He goes, "I was the first to pick up a knife when Grey Worm came." That's hardcore. My, you should have seen the look on my father's eyes. You know, like. He was so proud, basically, and he admits that his my father died during the fighting. Mm-hmm. And Danny's like, "This has not basically this has nothing to do with it. The harpy's life was not yours to take." Yeah, period. That, and then that's kind of when they go into you know the masters were the law. Now you're the law, and she goes, "No, the law is the law." And I just feel for her in this situation because it is a hard decision because he did commit a crime. But I think she, this is a, an extremely valuable learning lesson for her. Um, you know, sadly, she thinks that she's doing the right thing. She thinks that she's serving justice. She's showing the masters that this law applies to everybody, mm-hmm. whether you're a master or a freed man. And unfortunately, what ends up happening is the masters still dislike her. And the people that call her Misa now feel betrayed because they've, she's killed one of her children essentially i mean they call her misa right so she's walking out of that situation with even more enemies than she had before and i think it was a big learning lesson for her that being just and the law being the law it's not going to get you any further with either side if you're going to start you know it's it's a it's a really sticky situation for her right and she felt horrible yeah she just like she didn't she fucked up she should have just had a trial for him as well 
You know, she if she just, that's the pr- if that's have. the principle that's been violated is that this guy didn't get his trial, then that means that this guy should get a trial. He should get a trial. This new guy, and uh, so this is sort of like Stannis esque of her, where right where you're like he does something good, helps with the rebellion in Astapor and um, or Marine or where wherever it was, Marine, I guess, and. Um, and so she raises him and raises his status, and then he does something criminal, and he, she punishes him for it, like, you know, making you a lord for saving us during the the, um, the siege, da- uh, Davos, but cutting off your fingers for being <laughs> yeah, a smuggler, basically. you know? It's kind of funny. So we get to the, we get to what I guess I'll say Mosador's uh, trial, air quotes there, <laughs> you know? And so she walks up and she goes, I promised you freedom and justice. One cannot exist without the other. And I love the cinematography in this scene because she's struggling with this. I mean, we have Mosador over in the corner saying, Misa, please, like Mm -hmm. mercy, please. She can't even look at him. She can't even look at him. But the, the way the camera is going is it's going kind of in a circular motion. And it made me feel like her head was spinning. Yeah, like uneasy, chaotic. She's looking over at the masters, That's and she's awesome. looking at Mosador, and then she's looking at the her children. And but in the background, she has Dario, and on the other side of her, she has uh, Masande, and his Dar is back there, and Barristan's back there, and they're all looking at her. And the way the the camera's moving, it gave me the impression like. They were trying to show like her head spinning. Yeah, like she doesn't that's awesome. know what to do. Like she's insecure. I, di- I didn't realize it at the time, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and everyone's kind of waiting for her to make this decision, and you know she she does look at um, him as he's closing his eyes and praying, and the look on her face—it's so pained because yep. she, you know, really liked this guy, and the totally. nod that she gives Dario. And Dario doesn't want to do it. You yeah, can just tell. Yeah. He's just like, fuck, man. He's like, like, for real. This is not a good idea. And so when his head gets lopped off, like, she shudders. And then we get the, the hissing. <sighs> so fucked up. Oh, and she's like, what the fuck? Yeah, she's like, I didn't <laughs> know about happening? this shit. <laughs> we need to get the hell out of here. Yep. <laughs> They sort of create a phalanx type of thing with all their shields creating like a big shell. Yeah, that was really away. cool. Yeah, totally. Man, yeah, what a crazy scene. I, I probably didn't realize that the camera motion because I kept pausing it to try to, to, to write down the uh, High Valyrian translations. Yeah, I... I, I, I did the same thing, but then I watched it again because I... When the scenes come to take notes on like with the subtitles i have to pause it pause it pause it pause it so what i do is i pause it take my notes and then i rewind the scene and watch it oh nice without taking notes so i can visually see what's going on good plan because i'm if i'm constantly like looking down i'm missing what they're doing so on those scenes i i actually watch those um twice nice So, yeah, it's the first time I've ever noticed the, the, the cinematography, and it gives you kind of like that feeling of dizziness. And Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool. I mean, it's not super fast, but it, it's the camera is constantly in motion around her. You get shots of her from the back, shots of her face, shots of, you know, her the side to side, and it's very fluid, very smooth. It's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. 
Yeah, so then we, we get back up into the, the pyramid and, you know, Grey Worm, or Barristan, I think, is the one that says, you know, I'll, I'll be on guard tonight. And I think it's Grey Worm that says we all guard tonight. <laughs> like, this is not a good this situation. There's up. basically like a fucking riot going on downstairs. And yeah. like, sh she's not going to be left with just one person. And she goes, leave me. And I think... This is where we get Drogon, which is an amazing image. Oh, but so good. I think he sensed she needed him. Mm-hmm. Just like at Daznak's pit. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think they have some type of tele telepathy going on because he's been gone for weeks, if not months at this point. And why would he come back the day that she's feeling the worst? Right. I mean, she's probably feeling pretty shitty right now. Like, totally. I thought I was doing the right thing. She was so excited to see him, too. Oh, she's Drogon. And he's, like, kind of purring at her in his little... I don't know what... I guess scales. They're, like... <laughs> like, twittering. And, you know, like, he's smelling her. I love the CGI of these dragons. They are so lifelike. Yeah, The way he's breathing. And his nostrils are opening and closing. And his eyes are blinking. And as he gets lower and lower and closer to her, his head just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And he's fucking huge. I know. He's so big. It's so awesome. I love it. Yeah, all the tiny it, little details, it. too. And she goes to pet him. And, you know, his he sniffs her and just flies off in his wingspan oh my goodness he's massive the winged shadow a winged shadow yes so that's that's such a heartbreaking scene because he came to her and then he saw that you know she was okay and he just flew back off because he's yep a teenager and independent <laughs> riding on his wings into the night yeah absolutely fuck yeah so I think that's all the notes I had, actually. I yeah, same here. That brings me to the end as well. Cool. Yeah, so uh, stick with us, guys. We'll be right back after a short break. That's Alone by producer Pold out of Poland. Check him out, P-O-L-D. Look him up on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, Spotify. He's got good stuff. I've used it on a couple episodes now, so check him out. with news about Game of Thrones. From winteriscoming.net, Gwendolyn Christie, you're going to need therapy after Game of Thrones Season 8 by Corey Smith. 
Walking the red carpet for the premiere of her new film, Welcome to Marwyn, Game of Thrones star Gwendolyn Christie, Bran of Tarth, discussed the show's upcoming se- final season with E! News, hinting that fans may want to make sure their mental health care coverage is up to date. <laughs> Quote, uh-huh. you're, you're going to need therapy, Christie said. I just think the show ending is going to send all of the world into professional help. <laughs> oh, shit. <Yeah. laughs> While Christie obviously didn't confirm or deny anything specific about the final six episodes she did say she was planning to rewatch the whole series from front to back something a lot of fans are probably thinking about doing right now hey like us we're doing a series rewatch, re-watch. <laughs> i think it's going to make me incredibly emotional we're all emotional about the fact that this is the end and this is the end of something incredibly significant for all of us and it's been a truly incredible thing to be a part of she said that's crazy yes Check your insurance plans out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Good idea. From complex.com, Game of Thrones was Comcast's most streamed show this year despite no new episodes. That's so hardcore. Right? Yeah. This is by um, Alex Galbraith. It's official. Game of Thrones is the Adele of big budget cable fantasy. (laughs) According to data shared by Comcast, the show pulled a 21 in 2018, managing to be the most streamed show on their on-demand service despite releasing no new episodes. Oh my god. That's crazy. Yeah, that's serious. It's been a solid 16 months since we last last saw Jon Snow and co. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> oh yeah. But that didn't stop Comcast's 22 million subscribers from binging the available seasons. The company didn't share exact numbers, but USA Today reports that Thrones was out front. The fact that the show is still ranked number one across the board when it wasn't even current is pretty incredible. Yes, I would say so. Yeah, seriously, that's nuts. Yeah. It shows just how large of a following that show has and how new people are still discovering it, Comcast VP of Programming Bryn Lev said. Damn, yeah, that's that's pretty unbelievable. Good for them. Yeah, for sure. It's nuts. From EW.com, George R.R. R. Martin reveals a look at Game of Thrones' giant ice spiders by James Hibbard. Remember old Nan's words? They swept through cities and kingdoms, riding their dead horses, hunting with their packs of pale spiders as big as hounds. That's from the creepy bedtime tale Bran was told during the first season of Game of Thrones. Wasn't that the pilot episode, too? No, because he was already injured at that no. point. Yeah. yeah, it was the one when he right after he wakes up. Yeah, yeah, that, I love that scene. Um, as old Nan regaled him with stories of the long night when the White Walkers last descended upon Westeros. The ice spiders have never been seen in the HBO show, but George R. R. Martin, but author George R. R. Martin unveiled an illustration Thursday of the 2020 Song of Ice and Fire calendar that shows the arachnoid terrors. <laughs> arachnoid terrors. That's so arachnoid. <laughs> yeah, it's a great word. And they're much bigger than hounds. It's unclear if the HBO drama will include the spiders during its climactic confrontation between the living and the army of the dead in the upcoming final season, which gets underway in April, but it seems pretty certain whites, white walkers, the Night King, and an ice dragon will all be involved. And before you say it, yes, Martin is working on finishing the book. He vowed to fans earlier this year that he will complete The Winds of Winter and A Dream of Spring. By, like, when? 2030 <laughs> or 2020? <laughs> yeah, let's expect it sometime around uh, the uh, 26th century. That would be 
you, you know, it'd be worth the wait. <laughs> After he's already died. <laughs> he's probably uh, going to, you know, get some kind of crazy sci-fi treatment and be like a, a brain on a jar with like little robot legs or something. Oh my god. <laughs> Let's move on to Game of Thrones and History from the Latin language blog, Game of Thrones and Ancient Rome Part 1 by Brittany Britannae. <laughs> Brittany <Yes>. Britannae. <laughs> Britannae. <laughs> uh, you can go with that. <laughs> Daenerys Targaryen versus Boudicca. Daenerys Targaryen is highly reminiscent of the strong barbarian queen Boudicca. According to historians, Boudicca was capable was a capable military leader whose hair is often remarked upon, not unlike Daenerys. She was possessed of greater intelligence than often belongs to women. That she was tall and had hair described as red, reddish-brown, or tawny hanging below her waist. Dio also says she had a harsh voice and piercing glare and habitually wore a large golden necklace, a many-colored tunic and a thick cloak fastened by a brooch. Similarly, both women find that the death of their husband, in Boudicca's case, and or father, in Daenerys, led to their doom and exile. However, these deaths do not defeat their spirits, but invigorate them to become warriors. For example, Boudicca leads an uprising against the Romans, just as Daenerys plans to lead an uprising against those in Westeros. They both seek to take revenge upon those that have wronged them, Westeros and Rome, whilst avenging the injustices inflicted upon themselves. On a side note, it would seem that Boudicca's fashion was a point of inspiration for Daenerys as both Khaleesi and the Mother of Dragons. Large necklace, multicolored tunic, etc. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know if I've heard the Boudicca comparison before, but I like yeah, it. Yeah, that's cool. Next, we have weddings. In ancient Rome, there are various accounts, historic and mythological, that portray the setting of a wedding but produce death and havoc. <laughs> Messalina's marriage to Senator Gaius Silius, although she was already married to the emperor, this action resulted in their deaths. Damn. Wedding feast of Pirithos, which resulted in the battle of centaurs and Lapiths. Yeah, probably Lapiths. <laughs> Medina's poisoned wedding gifts to Jason's new soon-to-be wife, Glaus which killed Glaus and Medina's children. Ditto, that's my cat's name, <laughs> who believes her and Aeneas were married due to their sexual union, kills herself on their wedding night because he leaves her. And while it's not ancient to anyone who didn't know that the Red Wedding, it was based on the Black Dinner. Ooh. I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah, we may have mentioned that a couple episodes ago. I don't remember though. Next is the Seven and Lord of Light versus the Roman Pantheon and Christianity. In Game of Thrones, religion is a topic that sparks literally controversy, allies, and enemies. The faith of the Seven, shown as a seven-pointed star, includes seven deities. The Iron Islands have the Drowned God, the North has the Old Gods, and the newest addition, the Lord of Light. The similarities between these deities and ancient gods can be seen in every religion, but within ancient Rome, they are as follows. The father would be Jupiter, re representing divine justice and judging the souls of the dead. The mother, Juno, represents mercy, peace, fertility, and childbirth. She's sometimes referred to as the strength of women. The maiden, Diana, represents purity, love, and beauty. The crone, Ceres, 
represents wisdom and foresight. She is represented carrying a lantern. The warrior, Mars, represents strength and courage in battle. The smith, Vulcan, represents creation and craftsmanship. The stranger, Pluto, represents death and the unknown. It is rarely prayed to. These seven deities are the most popular in Westeros and reflect the Roman pantheon. The other two gods are as follows. The drowned god, Neptune, represents maritime skills and seafaring ability. The old gods of the forest are the Titans, representing a personal and less structured deity religion than other religions, though some basic social violations are prescribed by it, such as kinslaying, incest, and bastardy. It also upholds the laws of hospitality. The old gods seem reminiscent to the idea of the natural order of things. This is why this author says they are symbolic for the nature and primordial titans, Cronus, Rhea, Oceanus, Themis, Hyperion, and this, the author would also include Uranus and Gaia. All of these de- deities are ancient but within the series become undermined by the upcoming religion of R'hllor. R'hllor, the Lord of Light, Christianity, is a centered belief in the existence of a single all-powerful god. R'hllor, the Lord of Light, the Judeo-Christian god, is the god of fire, which provides light, heat, and life, and struggles against darkness, cold, and death, represented by an opposing deity, the Great Other, the Devil, Satan, Evil. He's often referred to as the One True God. The following was said of the Lord of Light by George R. R. Martin. The R'hllor religion is strongly influenced by the real-life religion of Zoroastrianism. The central element it borrows is that it is a ditheistic religion. There is one god, one true good god locked in eternal combat with an evil deity. As part of this dualism, R'hllor, who embodies light, fire, and heat, is opposed on the level of primordial forces by the Great Other, who embodies cold and darkness hear that what was that (laughs) sir matthew of house rep as Arya sails under the great titan of bravos to meet her unknown future the her sister is doing the same with the man whose grandfather's sigil was the titan of bravos littlefinger good connection that's cool yeah we see the final fate of the poor dwarf mummer that portrayed King Joffrey at the Purple Wedding. Oh, man, I didn't even realize that that wow. was the same dwarf. That sucks. Should have run. <laughs> we get our first introduction to the fierce bear cub, Liana Mormont, as she tells Stannis in no uncertain terms she won't support him. <laughs> the wretched <laughs> child. <or something. laughs> we know no king but the king in the north. His name is Stark. <laughs> Cersei is getting no love from Uncle Kevin, and soon enough, his son Lancel will bring enough trouble of his own to her. That is true. He's going to be a big problem for Cersei coming up. Yes, he will be. Thanks for writing, Matthew. Yeah, thanks, man. Really great feedback, as always. Yes. Lady Lucy of House Jane. I meant to comment on the previous two episodes, but I kept forgetting in my mania of trying to do lots of Christmas crafting. (laughs) (laughs) You probably worked this out, but Hot Pie told Brienne and Pod that he last saw Arya with the Hound oh. and the Brotherhood. Oh, yeah, because we were trying to figure that out. Right, yeah, how, how she they knew. knew it was Arya, right. Good call, yeah. Lady Lucy. Thank you yes, for reminding thank us. Yes, thank you. 
Um, so, which is how she knew that it was Arya. I felt that Stannis was respecting the fact that John had beaten back the wildlings when he asked what he wanted to do with Mance. Mm, nice. Yeah, definitely. I felt it was a way of respecting him. And I don't think Jamie wanted to say goodbye to Tyrion. I think he was dashing off because he couldn't face it as a person oh. who does this exact same thing. <laughs> I think this is why he didn't say goodbye until Tyrion mentioned it. Yeah, for sure. Just need to go. It's too hard. <laughs> yeah, In this sense. episode, the main things that resonate with me are John's dream of being dangled are being dangled before him, which he knows he can't accept as it would dishonor him, and therefore the Stark's name. His face when Stannis offers him his name is heartbreaking. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Good feedback. Lord Johnny of House Store, referring to the Titan, says, Always wondered, is he wearing underwear or hairy balls? Oh. <laughs> I'm betting on the hairy balls. Hairy balls for sure. <laughs> Sir Cody of House Christian. Hello, fellow Throners. Sir Cody of House Christian here to speak on the happenings of Season 5, Episode 2, The House of Black and White. The moment in this episode that stood out to me the most was when Daenerys was talking to Barristan and he mentioned the Mad King. She was immediately offended and still operating under the assumption that it was lies of her enemies. When he went on to explain that it was true, she was so quick to back down on that and state, I'm not my father. All the intense dragon music and her deciding she would not be like her father and give the son of a harpy a fair trial would make you think she was taming her inner dragon. <laughs> but we know she goes on to kill the man who took it upon himself to kill the son of the harpy. Could this possibly be foreshadowing her and Cersei becoming mad queens? Do we even have time left for that with just six episodes? Or was it just to show her occasional lack of proper judgment? This seems like a huge moment. Danny learning the truth of the Mad King, and it feels a tad glossed over. <laughs> Let me know what you think and keep up the great work. Always looking forward to hearing your take. Valar Morghulis. Valar Doharius. Nice to hear from you, Sir Cody. Thanks for writing in. That would be crazy if both she and Daenerys went crazy and went all Mad Queen. I think that it's probably just one of her more like intense moments showing that she has the potential but I think that being surrounded with good advisors like Tyrion and with the influence of Jon, um, it'll help her really find her center and avoid slipping into the fate that uh, the type of fate that the Mad King's genetic uh, genetics could potentially give her. So I think that she's going to be tempered largely and uh, end up being more of a force for good than chaos or evil. Thanks for writing, man. Good feedback. All right, that's our show, episode 84. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you guys so much. Next episode, we'll be covering season five, episode three, High Sparrow. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. Christmas is coming. This year, for your online holiday shopping, just go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast and patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. 
Any contribution you make definitely helps and you can help secure the continued existence of G-O-M. <laughs> We'd like to thank our patrons, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, and Lady Candace of House Twos, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Sirenicide, and Luke the Low Duke. We love you guys and appreciate your patronage. We're also working on putting together some more interesting incentives for supporting the show. Let us know what you would want. If you have any cool ideas, we are really interested in hearing about them. Yes. We also want to give a huge thanks to Lady Lisa of House Sky, Pie Romancer. <laughs> she's yes. been key behind the scenes working to get GameOfMicrophones.com up and running. And she's also a world-class artist. So check out her amazingly illustrated children's book, The People You May See, available now on Amazon. Yes, it's beautiful. Yeah, really, really good stuff. If you'd like to call, you can always call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. And please give us a like on Facebook and a rating or review. And also, make sure to give us a review on iTunes to help bump us back into the search results for Game of Thrones. We would appreciate it. Imp slap! Ah. You can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steemit. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. We can't create a custom URL on YouTube until we have 100 subscribers, so please subscribe as well. Likes, comments, and shares are also appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. murdered sons in front of their fathers. He burned men alive with wildfire and laughed as they screamed. And his efforts to stamp out dissent led to rebellion that killed every Targaryen except two. I'm not my father. No, your grace. Thank the gods. Oh my god. <laughs> That was awesome. <laughs> Where do whores go? And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, absolutely. If your whole system of ruling is already based on love, which her, hers has been, you know, freeing people, saving people, etc. Start to try to incorporate fear. And they're like, what the fuck is this all about? <laughs> you know? They'll start hissing at you, basically. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> we discover that it's the 998th selection of the lord commander so that's a lot of lord commanders over the years <laughs> yeah it's a fuck ton i th also thought it was hilarious how gilly called him ostrich stark <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally <laughs> <laughs> okay sloth rachel is kind of funny though so sloth rachel is kind of funny <laughs> yeah her name is gilly you know her quite well <laughs> I found him there after the battle in a puddle of his own making. <laughs> so classic. He just rocked that scene. 
think about it it's a targaryen voting for another targaryen oh my gosh that, <laughs> i didn't even think about that that's so awesome i just realized it right now <laughs> that's awesome mm-hmm. everyone like jumps up and cheers it's like john snow john snow and i'm like yeah he won. <laughs> <laughs> A, a man, man is, is not, not Jack in the car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she trusts him because she says, go on. You know, like, I think he was a little bit nervous to say. Duncan. Duncan. Yeah, that was so I ridiculous. Really do. It, the sound it made did not sound good. I by know. The way. I, I went back and listened to it. <laughs> it was like, like what the fuck is happening? Yeah, probably dead. Rage, rage, fucking rage, fucking rage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Same here. And then we get the, the hissing. Yes so fucked up oh and she's like what the fuck yeah she's like i didn't (laughs) know about this shit if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes insomnia brain fog moodiness or weight gain you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging the experts at midi health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause and midi can help with safe effective fda approved solutions covered by insurance 91% 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 